1: All right, guys, Greg Scheinman here, Midlife Male Podcast. I have Dr. Frank Lipman joining me today. He is a functional medicine doctor and a New York Times bestseller. My good friend and former guest on the podcast, incredible chef Seamus Mullen, uh, describes him as, if antibiotics are right, he will try it. If it's an anti-inflammatory diet, he'll do that. He is looking at the body as a system rather than looking at isolated things. So true. So true. He is the author of five books, How to Be Well, The New Health Rules, which is the book that my wife Kate got me a couple years back and turned me on to Dr. Whitman. Young and Slim for Life, Revive, And Total Renewal, as well as the new one, so I guess that makes it six books now if I can count, The New Rules of Aging Well. He is also the chief medical officer for The Well. Check them out. Super cool health, wellness, lifestyle brand, um, that is taking their concept out of New York city to the Mayflower Inn partnership with Auberge. Really cool. Check that out. This was a lot of fun. This was super, super interesting, um, to learn about his inspiration for the book, uh, defining the new rules versus some of the old rules. Um, the conclusions and the process uh, that he has drawn and gone through, the importance of sleep, really breaking down very complex topics uh, and health issues and putting them into a simple and digestible format. We talked about sleep, when to eat, how you eat, placing an emphasis on spirituality, empathy, gratitude, appreciation, Accessibility. Uh, looking at the body as a system, as we talk about developing healthy habits and the importance of habits. I know my man Michael Chernow is working and talking a lot about habits with his New Deal Creatures of Habit. Check that out, and also give him a follow and a listen to Born or Made, his podcast. It's super. You know, and where where do things like money, career, family fit into? health, wellness, anxiety, stress, performance. Uh, this was this was a lot of fun to get into. Uh, it was eye-opening at times. I had a lot of questions. I could have kept peppering him with more and more questions, but trying to keep it simple, pretty much all of the things that we discussed are covered in his book. So I definitely recommend you go out there and get that anti-aging workups, you know, blood work, markers, you know, when you should be doing that kind of thing, the difference between science, you know, substance and science versus influencers. You know, and not all of us are created alike. What works for one does not necessarily work for another. So really impactful and important stuff to pay attention to. So let's get into this week's episode with Doctor Frank Lippmann. Doctor, thank you so much for being here.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Oh, this is this is my pleasure. Um, you know, a few years back, uh, my wife gifted me uh, your your book, The New Health Rules, and loved it. And then when I saw the release of the new rules of aging well, had to jump all over that and thought what could be more perfect for the midlife male podcast.
0: Right. Yeah. The new new rules of aging well is sort of the, yeah, the aging update of the new health rules.
1: Yes. Um, Let me ask you first, because I always like to start with this. I mean, Obviously, you have the new rules. You're an author. You're a doctor. What is your personal kind of daily routine, the rules that you follow uh, day to day?
0: Um, Well, it starts, I wake up, I'm a very early riser, and uh, I'll either get up straight away and go to my spot and meditate. If it's very early and I don't want to wake my wife up, I'll lie in bed and meditate. But I usually try and start my day off with a meditation. So that's usually what I do. Um, In the last couple of months, it's been sort of uh, up. up, What uh, there has been some upheaval with all the politics, and I put on the TV, which I usually try not to do. But I'd start with meditation, then put on the TV while I'm getting ready, whether it's for work or if I'm not working, then I'll ride the bicycle or do some type of exercise. If I'm going to work, I get on the train, go to work, and you know, I work in New York City, so I walk from Grand Central to my office, which is about a 20 25 minute walk. Um, so then I'll work all day, and if I'm at home, I Um, You know, after exercise, we'll, you know, usually work on, you know, researching, um, reading, writing, whatever. And um, my first meal is usually around 11, 12. I usually fast for about 16 hours. I'll have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee in the morning. Uh, But my first meal will be around 11 or 12. Um, which is usually a shake, which is with um, some protein and fat, um, very little carbs. And if it's not a shake, it'll be some once again also protein and vegetable, and then sort of something boring and similar, the same thing in in the rest of the day. And then comes dinner and the similar type of meal in the evening, protein and fat. I try to eat very low carb. Um, I only eat two meals a day for the most part. I'll occasionally have a snack in between, but usually not. Um, and uh, that's it. I mean, it's, it's pretty boring.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, how did you find that this routine worked for you? And I guess what would you advise... Um, others to kind of also figure out what works for them. You know, we're not all created equal.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I mean, first of all, I think it is good to develop habits and uh, because your brain loves habit. When you, when you do things automatically, you don't have to think about what to do. So it sort of makes things much easier. Um, uh, The, the, meditation part is has only been in the last you know, I've struggled for years with meditation. It's become more of a habit in the last few years. Um, the intermittent fasting, the same thing. I used to wake up and have breakfast straight away. Um and that's changed over the years, but the intermittent fasting is also you know, a lot a lot of this happened in the last few years as I researched more, as I got older. Now I'm now sixty six, as I got older and started uh, reading up more about aging and, and reading the new research and the power of intermittent fasting or fasting. Um, uh, I got more into, to intermittent fasting. Um, so I, I think it, it um, uh, how these things develop is because you, first of all, I have to practice what I preach. If I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sort of a, health doctor or wellness doctor. So I can't, you know, be obese and smoke and not be an example to my patients. So that's the first thing. Second thing, as you get older, you want to stay vital. You know, now I have a grandson and you want to enjoy your grandchildren. And um, so part of it's selfish, part of it is my ego. You're not, you're I, I have to be the part that I'm preaching. Um, So it sort of forces me to do these things. Um, And, um, you know, part of it is uh, I'm just an uh, eternal student. I like learning and reading. And um, and then I'm a preacher. I like to sort of turn people on to what I see is helpful. So I suppose all of that combined. Yep.
1: What is... You talked about a struggle with meditation, and it's something that I struggle with too. Incorporating it into my daily routine and making it more of a habit. What does meditation mean to you? I think maybe there's a misconception of, you know, how long people you know need to meditate or how they need to meditate. What does it mean to you?
0: Um, in a way, to me, it's mind control. Um, you know, I have a very active mind. I- um uh I often live in my head so for me meditation is being able to control my mind from with, with all the thoughts and it's basically getting out of my head so uh, i think what's interesting about meditation what it helped me the most you know i struggled for years doing mindfulness meditation and um different types of meditation and i sort of shunned mantra meditation i thought tm was nonsense and you know what's this mantra nonsense and uh, i happened to be introduced to a meditation teacher by an uh a writer someone who wrote my previous book how to be well she had studied meditation with him they'd studied together and she said he's a great teacher and she hooked us up and uh, he offered to come and teach me and my staff in my office and it happened to be mantra you know vedic meditation which is sort of similar his tm is vedic meditation it's a mantra and uh, i sort of went along being polite i wasn't i didn't wasn't (laughs) that interested but i went along you know being polite and um ended up finding it incredibly helpful because when you get given a mantra it's sort of a focus um where you can you know you just keep on saying this mantra over and over again and it teaches you to when you when when your mind drifts you get back to the mantra so it's sort of an easy way to learn meditation and over time you learn that um if my mind is going crazy like i'm in the middle of the night i wake up and i'm wide awake i just start you know chanting this mantra and I'll fall asleep. So it's sort of, to me, it's a way of taming the monkey mind. I mean, obviously, there are many other beneficial aspects of it. I do think it helps with sleep and anxiety and all sorts of things. And there's a whole spiritual aspect to it. But for me, it's really a way of taming my monkey mind.
1: Mm. You also talked about adopting intermittent fasting and the research that that you've done on it. Um I have a question as it pertains to that where I typically I do my training and my workouts in the morning. Um not super early. I'm an I'm an early riser. I like to try to get my morning quick meditation in when I can. And again I struggle with it. Drink my coffee. So now I'm on I'm on board with what you've said so far. I like to get a lot of my work done in the morning while my wife and kids are still sleeping because in order for me to train, I feel like I need a clear head. Otherwise I'm thinking about work and emails and, and, and life while I'm training. So I try to knock that stuff out early, but then when I do begin my training, call it seven 30, maybe eight o'clock in the morning. Um, my question is when I finish training, there's a school of thought that you need to eat within, you know, a quick period of time after at least maybe get some protein in or something back into your, into your body. And I'm training on a fasted state, but I've been trying, I guess, with intermittent fasting really to kind of go from 8 PM, if you will, until about 11 or so later in the morning, what's your take on, on eating after you train or continuing the fast, you know, for the duration that maybe I want to hit.
0: Right. So that's an interesting question because I think, and this is not what I do, but um, what seems to be probably the better meal to miss, although it's a harder, it would be the evening meal. So if you think about the rhythms of the body, if you probably a better uh, or a more effective or more therapeutic way of fasting would be to skip dinner and not breakfast. So, you know, eat your last meal, maybe at Three o'clock or or whatever, and then train in the morning, and then eat afterwards. Because it is very difficult. I know when I, because I ride a bike, and um, when I'm when I'm not working, and I'm going when it's decent weather, and I'm going for longer rides, um, I also usually exercise on and without eating. But when I come home, I am famished. I, I am. I do like to eat. And that often becomes a problem if I've eaten dinner too late. So to, to answer that question, you know, I, I think it's probably better to um, fast if you want to get your 15 or 16 hours in, rather eat your dinner earlier and then eat your meal after you've exercised. Mm-hmm. Um Rather than wait another two hours after you exercise and then have your meal, so that's the way I would adjust that. That's what I try to do when I go for a longer ride when the you know usually when I'm you know now with the weather getting colder, I ride my peloton inside and I'll do you know twenty twenty five minutes or so when I'm walking to work it's twenty five minutes so uh, but when I'm going for an hour an hour and a half two hour ride when the weather's good it is harder to fast for a while after that so um, my suggestion would be to just eat dinner earlier which i think is probably better for your body anyway because your body's uh, you know all our organs have rhythms and your peak digestion is at midday so and, and after that it's you know your digestion so your metabolism goes down so it's probably best to get most of your calories in before three o'clock four o'clock anyway mm. but but not convenient because for most of us normal people we have dinner around six seven at, at the earliest so um it becomes trickier but i you know i you know everyone laughs at me i love eating at five o'clock i mean i've got my whole family down to early and earlier meals now with a, a little baby around, you know, when our kids are with us, it's it's um, maybe easier, but they used to laugh at me when I was wanting dinner at six o'clock. Now they're starting to laugh, but conform to when I want dinner at five o'clock.
1: Yeah, it's, it, it's true. I mean, in terms of controlling what we can control, um, I certainly, you know, between my wife and I have been able to, during this time, even more than ever be able to gain more control over when we're eating. Um, and we tend to eat earlier ourselves when you factor in, um, business, um, work schedules, um, client situation, you know, at times, and again, we're, we're in different times today than we have been before. Um, what's happened for me and is I've had to make this conscious shift, quite frankly, to, Try to have more of those meetings over breakfast or lunch, you know if you will, or coffee versus evening and dinner because it would throw everything else out of whack, and you just can't be that guy at, uh, at a table for four you <laughs> know where you're the only right. one not eating you know out there
0: right but like- i I do think um, you, you know you bring up an interesting point, especially with covid and and a lot of us working from home and our habits and rituals. Sort of out of whack, and, and I do think you know having rituals and habits are important, and it's knocked a lot of people off that they can't go to the gym and they can't do the normal things that they used to do, and people are you know are are, are suffering the consequences of that, so I'm always encouraging my patients to try find a new rhythm, some new rituals, some new habits where you can actually get back into some type of rhythm.
1: Absolutely, I do think that there's been um, there is an opportunity from this situation. I think to develop some healthier habits. I feel like even in our firm, that the we've given you know our colleagues so many hours of their lives back, you know, per day when you remove commuting. Um, yep. I mean everything from getting up and showering and getting dressed up to commuting in some cases over an hour each way a day uh dropping kids off at daycare or school whatever it may be there you know we've handed back colleagues, i think in some cases two to four hours a day and, yep. and I hope that and encourage people to to use those hours wisely and to be able to develop some other healthier habits and not be maybe as bound to the rigid system of breakfast at a certain time or an hour that you get for lunch at the same time every day to you can only eat dinner at a certain time because that's the only time you're arriving home. And you yep. think there's there's been some tremendous opportunity in all this.
0: Yep, I agree 100%. Yeah.
1: You talked about that uh, walk from Grand Central to your office and being, and being in New York City. I'm a native New Yorker. I've now been in Texas, in Houston for 18 years now. How is the city for you? You know now.
0: Um, Well, actually, the city is interesting because um, it's much more. It's quite. I mean, I come into Grand Central, for instance. The train is probably. I come from Westchester. It's probably a third or quarter full, which is nice. Grand Central's pretty empty. Uh, My walk. uh, The streets are fairly empty. I mean, they're not. They're not empty, but they're definitely, you know, half to a third is crowded. So i quite enjoying this city. It's, uh, it's a bit strange. I mean, it's nice to have all the restaurants on the streets, you know, because people are dining outside. So it's actually got a interesting feel about it. I mean, there's definitely fewer people. A lot of Manhattan or city people have moved upstate or to the Hamptons and, and whatever. So it's much quieter. I quite you know it's a horrible thing to say, but I quite enjoy this city like this. With, I mean, I like, I used to like the buzz and you know the busyness, but I'm quite enjoying the slower or quieter version of New York City.
1: Hmm. I I can I can see that. I know it's not for the right circumstances, if yep. you will, but I can completely see that as somebody who always enjoyed New York, but the Hustling, bustling, crowded elements that you had mentioned that are now kind of a, a relief to have them not really be there. That was the stuff that you know caused stress and anxiety for me, and one of the reasons I'm not there <laughs> anymore.
0: Right, right.
1: Let's let's shift on this a little bit. We talked about the new health rules um, and how I first got my hands on that, and you had mentioned uh, that the new rules of aging well, your latest book, is kind of the the follow up, you know, to the new health rules, and what was the inspiration to do a follow up, and even to create, I guess, and 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 write write new rules, even.
0: Well, well the inspiration was just, you know, as I said, for my own health. What um, has happened in my own life as you start getting older. And realizing certain things that, you know, the certain maybe the way I used to exercise is not working for me anymore, and learning to adjust and seeing what's important in life as you get older. And at the same time, doing more uh, in my practice where people are coming in and saying, Listen, I'm getting older, I want to stay well. So we started doing more, let's call it anti aging medicine, for lack of another term, where we you know, do a complete uh, blood workup with certain anti-aging biomarkers and we do some genetic testing. And um, so my practice started evolving a little bit or seeing more patients who were interested in anti-aging. I was aging um, and uh, the publisher had, you know, wanted me to do a, you know, because the new health rules did so well, they wanted me to do a follow-up. So I said, "Well, let's do a book on aging," and that's how it happened. So once again, selfish, you know. When, you... but then...
1: well, you make an excellent point there too uh, about you know you use the term term selfish, but you know lately I keep I keep hearing and feeling more and more, and I think there's something to this that if you don't put yourself first, your well being, your self care, your self awareness, you it's really challenging to be, to be any good for anybody else. Hmm? And yeah. you mentioned the family and the grandkids and everything else. Um, so I don't, I don't yeah. know if I see it as, as, as yeah. selfish. There's some levity to, to the term and using it, but you know what I mean? My everything you've done to no. put yourself first has created a tremendous benefit.
0: No, absolutely. No, I agree a hundred percent. Yeah, it is. It's selfish on on one level, but it, it makes me much more available to my family, to my patients, to myself. So yes, it it is. Everyone is benefiting from it. So yeah, I mean yes, there is some levity to saying it's selfish, but it's it is um yeah, everyone is benefiting from it, and that's what I love. You know, this is part of what I like to do. Take um you know I'm a avid reader and um, I devour information and I'm always learning and um, I like taking that information making it simple for people and making it accessible for people that's been sort of that's my modus operandi that's my skill I try to take complicated information I try to think out of the box because although I'm a traditional physician I try and um, you know I see things a little bit you know, more holistically, which has been very helpful. Um, And so I try to take that view of the world and of medicine in particular and health and try articulate it in a way that people can understand, make it simple and digestible for people. And so that's what I do in my practice and that's what I do in my books. And so that's what I did with this with aging.
1: Mm. You had talked about uh, an anti-aging, you know, workup in, in your practice and coming in and and right. and doing those. Is there a recommended age or time to have that done? Whether it's getting, you know, checking your markers or doing it. And I'm, at, I'm forty. I'm about to be forty-eight. You know, myself. Right. Um, my father passed away at forty-seven of yeah. of cancer. We don't have a wonderful genetic history, you know, in my family. I try to take. Good care of myself because of that. Um, is there a timing or, or I guess uh, a pattern or playbook that you see or that you put out for your patients of here's when we do this, this or this to start thinking about longevity, sustainability, anti-aging?
0: That's a great question because it used to be older now I do it um, I, I' probably do something similar for a lot of my patients. Um, so, definitely 48 for sure. To me, once you, st- you know, the way I, I see this is in a way there's a cutoff. It's not as simple as this, but by the time you turn 40, you're changing from wanting to grow and get strong and reproduce to sort of maintain and preserving. So, I seek 40 really as a, in a way, as a cutoff, although not everyone's the same. But from 40 onwards, I think it's more about preserving and maintaining what you have and not building and growing and et cetera. So definitely from 40 onwards, but even, you know, uh, the, the, a lot of the patients I see who are younger usually are coming in with autoimmune problems or some chronic condition, and we are doing something similar. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe yeah. at one or two of the markers I won't do for younger people, but I would um do something very similar for someone over 40. And that would be, you know, taking a really good history, doing a very complete uh, blood workup where we're doing a lot of the inflammatory markers. We're doing a lot of the micronutrient levels, um, the hormones. uh, And then, you know, what we're doing more and more lately is some genetic testing um, where we are, um, are there's, Particular ge- nutritional genetic tests where we can actually tell where people nutritional weakness or their where their weaknesses are and how we can bolster those with you know diet and but particularly supplements. So yeah, I'd say forty is where I start looking a little bit more seriously. We do an advanced lipid panel, for instance, rather than just a traditional cholesterol level. So you can actually pinpoint. Um, people's weaknesses or where you need to prop up um, with supplements, or let's say they need to exercise in a certain way or take sleep more seriously. But you can be more targeted with a lot of this testing.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, what I find fascinating about this and and accurate, especially now, um, is that, you know, everybody is an expert. Or thinks they're an expert through social media um, and and all the various channels you know that are out there. People will look a certain way, and they'll be perceived as maybe knowing more or having a background in anything. And there are all the the names, whether it's keto or, or keto or paleo and how to eat. And you mentioned, uh, inflammation, you know, the eat this, don't eat that because this causes inflammation and this doesn't, but what you're really getting at is that it's, it's rooted in science. You know, how my body is made up. I may react very differently exactly. to any one of these ways of eating, you know, yeah, or, exactly. or what causes inflammation for me.
0: Right. exactly very good point everyone is different we, we we as different as uh you know as uh fingerprints you know what helps one person won't help the next person and does violence or harms the third person so i think that's very important there is no one way for everyone a keto diet works well for some person some people and you know, does harm to other people. A vegan diet can be can be helpful short term, anyway, for some people. And I have some vegan patients who are pretty healthy and doing well. Not that many long term, but still, it has worked for people. So, uh, but then for many people, it's a problem. So yes, there's no one way of eating, um, and also everyone. You know, one of the big issues or, or big problems or, or differentiators in people is our microbiome which is this collection of bacteria in our gut. And that will determine how much, you know, what foods are, are work better for you, how much, um, what foods can trigger inflammation. Um, if that microbiome is out of balance, for instance, it can lead to what we call a leaky gut, and that will trigger inflammation. So with all this nonsense about certain foods are pro-inflammatory and anti-inflammatory, a lot more is actually determined by your microbiome and your gut because that will is the biggest source of inflammation. So for a certain microbiome, a person with a certain microbiome, certain foods can be pro-inflammatory, but the uh, someone else with a different microbiome, those same foods won't be pro-inflammatory. even if, you know even with blood glucose, you know now which is interesting, we have continuous blood glucose monitors. We're finding that there's not certain foods can raise someone's blood glucose and the next person won't. So it's fascinating what's going on and what we can measure now and how we can help people actually do what's right for them. So
1: is the best advice really to simply say, you know, you have to start with a medical professional, you know, someone again, who is going to do the right thing. Testing on you, the right mark to before you commit to anything else out there, whatever program it may be, to eating a certain way or taking certain supplements and spending money on this or time and energy on that. If you're not starting with a professional and you're not understanding exactly who you are and what your your makeup is, um, you're really just throwing darts, right? <laughs>
0: right but unfortunately a lot of professionals won't help you so i would rather say start with your own lifestyle make sure that your sleep is you know work on your sleep um see that you're exercising um deal with your stress uh when it comes to diet sort of a generic starting point is try eat as close to nature as possible and as low sugar as possible those were all generic changes that will help um most people you can also, on your own terms, start self-monitoring. You can monitor your sleep. You can get a Fitbit or, or a ring to monitor your sleep. You can, if you really want to, it depends on your personality, you can start monitoring your blood glucose with a continuous blood glucose monitor. But if you really want to take it to the next level, then you need a physician who's going to measure your nutrient levels, your hormone levels, some of these biomarkers, maybe test your microbiome, um, do some genetic tests. If you want to take it to the next level, I think you need to work with a practitioner who can help you get there. But I think the basic start with yourself, with these lifestyle changes of paying attention to sleep, how you deal with stress, how you exercise, you know, your basic diet. All of those will get you to you know, a, a a much healthier level. And then if you want to fine tune it and take it to the next level, then I think you need to work with a practitioner who will s- incorporate a lot of this, you know, more sophisticated testing.
1: Mm-hmm. You mentioned sleep now a couple of times. Um, I'd love to talk about the importance of sleep, getting more rest, and also a little bit about recovery in nature. Just because it seems easy to overdo it, also in terms of again the training or the eating or the fat, yeah. and how important as you are aging um, to give yourself time to rest and recover.
0: Absolutely, I think sleep is. You know, we, everyone talks about diet and exercise and even stress, but sleep is is probably the most underrated lifestyle change that we can make and you know you, you we must remember we're spending almost a third of our life sleeping and so many people struggle with sleep and sleep is when your body recovers and repairs i mean sleep is not a passive process in fact my next book which comes out in april is on sleep um, i've become a bit obsessed with sleep because as we get older we tend to sleep less or we think that we don't need to sleep as much which is nonsense we just have a harder time sleeping as well when we were younger but it's just as important if not more important so sleep is is a pretty active process and and don't take it for granted and you know he has a perfect example you know we have something called the glymphatic system in the brain which helps clear toxins or proteins that have built up during the day from our brain so during the day you're active and you're thinking um, and you're working and your, your brain is using a lot of these nutrients and proteins and breaking them down and these byproducts of what your brain uses during the day needs to be cleaned out and we have a glymphatic system which actually does that the problem is the glymphatic system only works when you sleep. So if you're not sleeping, you're not cleaning out that mess, you know. And the, so the metaphor I always use is if you have a party and the next morning there's a big mess in your dining room. And if you don't clean it up and you have a party the next night and you, the mess gets bigger and bigger and so on and so on. And so if you're not cleaning out that mess every day or, or actually the mess is being cleaned out at night in your brain, that, that mess is going to build up. And, you know, we know uh, a lack of sleep poor sleep is one of the factors involved with Alzheimer's. So, you know, and we know if you don't sleep well for a few nights, your your cognitive ability is not as good. So over time that builds up. So, yes, sleep is critical to, to health.
1: For those of us who struggle with not only getting enough sleep, but I think in reality, even for me, knowing that i i need to get more sleep and genuinely wanting to get more sleep and even having the time to get more sleep um but still struggle with actually falling asleep what, what's your advice or tips you know, on that because you know you right. talked about meditation in terms of kind of being able to relax your 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 brain you know that's i mean for me one of the things is you get into bed Early and you're ready to go to sleep, you're trying to go to sleep. A lot of active thoughts, very challenging to go to get back into uh, a routine of being able to peacefully get the kind of sleep I even want to get.
0: Right. So, sleep is interesting because most of us think of the whole sleep process just starting five minutes before you get into bed. But it actually starts in the morning when you wake up. You've got to see. Your, your daytime and your nighttime rhythm is very important. In fact, one of the best things you can do for your sleep is to get some early morning light in the morning. Um, because sleep is a rhythm. It's your primary rhythm is sleep and you, in your wake time. And if you can get some early morning light um, first thing in the morning, that's really good for your sleep. So, so you need to look at your whole day as part of your sleep preparation or sleep process so i always recommend getting some early morning light exercising um, is going to help your sleep especially exercising earlier on for some people if you exercise too late that can be a stimulant you need to look at what are you eating or drinking that could affect your sleep sometimes too much sugar alcohol in particular is probably one of the worst things you can do for your sleep caffeine and depends and you know you can even check this genetically. You know, certain people have the genes for to metabolize caffeine quicker than others. You know, some people don't have that gene, so they don't metabolize caffeine quickly. And even having a cup of coffee in the morning can affect their sleep at night. But most probably, most commonly, or most important, will be stress and and um, just being overactive. Uh, during the day and not being able to quiet the mind you know you can't go at 100 miles an hour and expect to just slow down or stop and go to sleep you need to prepare for sleep so I I usually you know tell people to get off their computers and the blue light and uh, we should talk we'll talk about light in a minute and prepare for an hour or two and listen to some relaxing music I'm a big Bob Marley reggae music fan because that slows you down so listen to some relaxing music dim the lights um, that can be helpful um, and we got to remember the rhythm story i was talking about you know you want bright light or natural light in the morning at the same time you don't want artificial lights you know before you go to bed because if you have these artificial lights on too late your body It still thinks it's daytime, so it won't start producing the nighttime hormone melatonin. So all these factors affect your sleep. But once again, anxiety, 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 or not dealing with stress. And I know for myself, when I'm not sleeping well and I don't even realize I'm stressed and I look back and I look to see what's going on and I realize I'm more stressed than I am so it gets back to that meditation story and just like learning to quiet down your nervous system um, meditation in the morning will help your sleep at night so um that is a lot of information in like a couple of minutes mm-hmm.
1: Ab- absolutely
0: but it's all going to yeah. be in the new sleep book it's probably a lot <laughs> of it's in the new aging book but um my sleep book it deals with all of these things but you know you Stress and anxiety and an overactive nervous system are probably the commonest causes of sleep problems
1: hmm and and to that effect, you know where does money career family you know those elements fit into you know the patients that you see in the practice um that you have, I mean, as those things lead towards stress and anxiety, um, maybe speeding up the aging process, you know, as well, um, do you delve into those aspects as well? And how do you factor them in um, to, in a way, what you, what you prescribe, diagnose, and how you work with your your patients and your readers?
0: Yes, I think stress is a major major issue and as you point out the stress can be family it can be money um, it can be your job it can just be the way you see uh, life so I think learning to deal with that you know some people need a therapist most you know not everyone but um, therapy can be extremely helping or making people aware of how they're thinking about things and and teaching them to change the lenses or use different lenses to to the way they deal with their lives i mean what we're actually also finding is gut problems can affect um, your moods and your anxiety and even cause depression so sometimes an altered microbiome can cause anxiety so you've got to treat the gut um, and you know lastly when we do genetic testing Some people are more prone to anxiety and mood disorders because they're not metabolizing, whether it's certain hormones or environmental toxins or just metabolites that the body's making in general. They're not, because they're not metabolizing those properly, they're more prone to mood disorders. So once again, it's trying to uh, look under the hood and see what's going on physiologically. Uh, to see what's going, you know, why someone is anxious, because it may not be an external circumstance only, because, um, you know, if it is an external circumstance, and you can't change the external circumstance, learning to change the way you react to it is what you have to do, and that's where, you know, um, cognitive behavioral therapy, or just the therapy in general, can be helpful, uh, Meditation. Uh, breathing techniques can be helpful, but also if that's not helping, or even if it may be helping, looking at underlying physiological imbalances can be a cause of why you extra anxious.
1: Mm-hmm. You've also spoken um, about spirituality, you know, an emphasis on spirituality, not necessarily um, referring to religion. Um right but spirituality how yeah. do you what exactly do you, do you mean there and how and how does spirituality play a part in right. this
0: so to me spirituality um, is me it's not necessarily having to go to um, a synagogue or a church or a mosque know, it's not standard religion to me spirituality is about being kind, having gratitude, being able to forgive. Um, you know, there's an African term called Ubuntu, which means what makes us human is a humanity we show each other. So to me, that's what spirituality is, being a good person, doing, not doing unto others what you wouldn't want to be done to yourself, um, caring for others, being aware of um of not only other humans, but that we are part of nature, that um, we are microcosms of this macrocosm. Uh, And, you know, to respect not only other humans, but respect nature. To me, all of that is spirituality, just a belief that we are just part of this bigger universe. And if you harm any aspect of that universe, you're harming yourself. So it's a belief in, call it a higher power or um, something greater than yourself. Uh, that that to me is what spirituality is. It doesn't mean you you have to um, be part of any dogma or any particular religion per se. Mm. But but you know being being part of a religion and if that's how you get your spirituality, that's fine. I'm not that's you know, you don't, what I'm saying is you don't have to get it that way.
1: Sure. No, I completely understand there. And I fall on that side. My wife and I always talk about being far more spiritual in nature than we are
0: uh, religious. Um,
1: And that I think it's kind of more of a growth mindset in terms of embracing anyone's aspects or definitions of spirituality and goodness. And you touched on a number of topics that whether empathy, you know, gratitude, um, exactly. you know, ex- acceptance, accessibility. Um, and those have just made, you know, embracing those have just made such a positive impact. Uh, I think just the way we wake up and the way we feel, you know, throughout, throughout exactly. the day. Um, yeah. And they're become and they're much more at the forefront right now. Um, I read something just the other day, and I wanted to to ask you about it. Um, I'm going to pull this up as I as I talk to you. Um, you were involved with the Well, yep.
0: hmm? yes. yeah, yes. I'm chief as medical officer. Yes,
1: chief medical officer of of the Well. And I was just reading about what sounds like an amazing wellness destination, um, this country retreat. Talk to me a little bit about your involvement with the well. Um, this new development that I also think you know, and just that we're going to start seeing a lot more of of this emphasis on these these wellness type retreats, um, ultimate places to de- to de stress uh, and and escape all the hustle and bustle and the grind. You know, there's there's a lot of pride people seem to put in the hustle and grind, and and I'm. Kind of on the other side, you know that if you think
0: right. So the well um, was started by these three amazing young. You know I'm old compared to anyone, but but so they had approached me a while ago with this concept and and wanted me to be the medical director and help them build a medical team and oversee medical programming, um, which was in a way my dream for many years, but. I never had the the know-how or energy to put something like they wanted to put together. Um, and I told them, wow, that's a big undertaking. You're crazy. But they went ahead and they did it, which was pretty amazing. And they opened this incredible center in New York City with this beautiful space and restaurant. And um, at, then COVID came and we had it close down. So they have pivoted and um, you know we hopefully are opening up again in january um, but they are now trying to take this model and put it into resorts and they've um, partnered with auberge who own this mayflower resort in connecticut and we are first um, practical aspect of this concept of the well is being implemented at the Mayflower, the Auberge Mayflower in Connecticut, and we are actually going to be starting next month. We we sort of we're having a soft opening this month, and you know it's going to be a place where it's a beautiful setting, and you can get your regular spa treatments. But we take it a bit further, where we take you know we work with the chefs and nutrition. We have body workers there who we've trained with more sophisticated body work. Um, There will be a health coach. Same as people are used to having an exercise coach, we will have health coaches there teaching people um, to to make healthy choices in food and how to implement that. Um, We will hopefully have some medical practice there in time where we will be trying to do what we were talking about earlier. Um, at these places as well, where we can actually take it a step further. So sort of combining um, a medical practice with a lot of these spa services.
1: Is there an emphasis on immunity in general? And I think, again, now, um, just people are placing more importance on what can i do to develop immunity um right. to
0: illness hmm? well well to me if you look at immunity and aging a lot of them are similar processes so that's why the subtitle of my book has immunity in there because when uh, when i was writing the book and finishing the book and covid happened and the publisher said well how do we incorporate immunity, I said, well, it's the same thing. What you do to improve your aging, you're improving your immunity. It's There's a major, major overlap, if not almost identical. So when we think of, you know, it, the immune system doesn't work in isolation. The immune system is part of the system. And the immune, you know, making a more uh, um, a well um you know, I don't. I hate the term boosting immunity because you don't want to overboost it. But a well-regulated immune system is going to help with the aging. And working on anti-aging or optimizing your your aging mechanisms is going to cause a well-regulated immune system. So they do. To me, aging and immunity are almost identical in terms of what you do. So we're talking about take. You know. You know. Deal with the stress. Make sure that you're sleeping well. You know, watch your diet with the sugars and the starches in particular. Uh, don't eat too much. Um, you Exercise. All the same factors that affect aging will affect your immunity. Supplements um, are often very similar as well. So um, maybe a little bit different there, but the same lifestyle changes you need to make to age well Will strengthen your
1: immunity. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a a quote on your website also from a friend of mine, uh, Chef Seamus Mullen, who's also been on the podcast. Sure. Um, if antibiotics are right, he'll try it. If it's an anti-inflammatory diet, he'll do that. He's looking at the body as a system rather than looking at isolated things. In reference to your overall approach, um, and that just that just struck me. I. I love it um, about there are a lot of questions that are out there. And even the way that you're answering the questions that I'm posing out there uh, just gives us all a lot to think about and a lot to consider in terms of figuring out what the, what the, the right answers are for us um, and for you to help us get there.
0: Right. And I think, you know, I'm going to shameless plug of the book. A lot of it's in the book. I've made it very simple for people. Uh, But ultimately, it's cleaning up your lifestyle, your lifestyle choices make a huge difference to your immune system and how well you age. And it's never too late. You know, a lot of people think, oh, I'm 60, I'm 70, it's too late to make these changes. There's tons of research now showing that it's never too late to start exercising, to cleaning up your diet, to paying more attention to sleep, all these things help. And they help whether you're 30
1: 50, 70, or 90. It's fantastic stuff. So develop healthy habits. Avoid the proverbial midlife crisis, if you will. It is never too late. Make the lifestyle changes and absolutely pick up the book, The New Rules of Aging Well. Um, also pick up the new health rules um, and definitely be on the lookout for the new book uh, in April on sleep. Correct?
0: Correct. Yeah. Better sleep, better you or, or better. something. Sleep better, better I'm a, something like that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, we will get on that too. Okay. Um Dr. Lippman, thank you so much for joining me today on the Midlife Mail podcast. This has been tremendous. I really appreciate your time. Hang on for one moment as I wrap this up. Make sure everything uploads. Um, sure. Get there because I don't want to lose a second of uh, of the gems that you have dropped on, on the program today. Where can people find you also?
0: Just uh, at drfranklippman.com. Dr. Frank Lippman d r f r a n k l i p m a n dot com. I have a website. I have a free newsletter with tons of great information that goes out every week. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Not much Instagram, but I'm. Yeah, you. It's all on the website. I think if you want to find me on any of these things, but just go to the website and.
1: and you do everybody needs to go find them not hard to find check it out subscribe i'll also be posting um how to link up with dr lippman on my newsletter and through the podcast and on instagram as well thank you so much once again guys if you like what you hear keep spreading the word help the midlife male movement continue to grow um Shoot me an email at gshineman at gmail.com for recommendations on guests, questions you have, anything you need. Hit me up. Leave that five-star rating and a nice review and keep us going. Thank you so much, Dr. Lippman. Until next week, guys. Thanks, great.